You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. All right, good morning. Good morning. Good to see you again, Matt. We are doing this. It is, uh, what day is it? Day 9 and 10? Day 9 and 10. Of our reading, and uh, we're reading through the Bible. And let's just get into it, because we left off yesterday in our Old Testament reading, which is going to cover Genesis chapter 19 through 23. And we left you kind of with a cliffhanger yesterday, Mm -hmm. where uh, Abraham was negotiating with God to not destroy a really super violent place, Sodom and Gomorrah. And he was saying, for the sake of, of 10 righteous people, save it. Well, what we find out in chapter 19 is... There are not 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, there might only be one, and his <laughs> yes. name is Lot. And what we find out is Lot is actually not that righteous. No. He is righteous barely enough to know that these guys are from God. Like, he doesn't even recognize. So the angels show up. Right. Lot is there at the gate, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, hey, uh, and Abraham's, is Abraham with them? No, no, no it's just, this is the, just the angels. That's just right. the angels. So just the angels show up. And unlike Abraham, who immediately knew this was from the Lord, right. Lot recognizes these men are different, um, kind of knows that they're good, and then shows the hospitality that is kind of expected right. of that time. And so he brings these guys in. Long story short, he brings in these angels of the Lord. They look like normal guys. And immediately, like... It doesn't take long for the city of Sodom and Gomorrah to reveal what the Lord is talking about. Like the Lord is sending these angels to destroy the city right? because it's so violent. right? And within, who knows how long, uh, but quickly in the story. Yeah, like that evening. That evening. Is that what it says? That evening? Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So that evening, men of the city all congregate around Lot's house and they say, give us these men. Yeah. And the Bible is very explicit about this. There are no euphemisms it being... literally says, give us these men so that we can have our way with, with them, them. Yeah. In, a, uh, in a sexual manner. Correct. So, you know, you might be familiar with the term Sodom and things like that. So we'll leave it at that. But they want this. And Lot, do you want to tell how Lot handles this? Because it's kind of a, a fun... Or I'll just tell it. Yeah, no, so... Lot is like, oh, don't do this. That's evil. <laughs> and his uh, consolation prize is... Oh, gross. I can't believe you said that. His solution, <laughs> His solution to the problem... He's is, messed up. ...is to give his daughters to them. He says, I have these virgin daughters. Take them and rape them. Yeah. But don't take these men. These are guests in our home. And, and the, uh, the men are like, oh... We're gonna we're gonna do worse to you than that, like than we would to these men. So they grab Lot, and before they can do anything to Lot, the angels open the door, blind all the men, grab Lot, pull him to the into the house, and shut the door. Yes, and so the Bible says that these uh, these men of Sodom then are kind of groping around. They're dealing with the blindness. Mm-hmm. So literally, the angel of the Lord saved Lot, saved his daughters, and says, "You got to get out of here." Lot then goes and tells his son-in-laws. Yeah. He says, we got to get out of here. Uh, this city's going to be destroyed. It's too evil. And it says that his son-in-laws, the, the husbands of his daughters, laughed. Yeah. 
They don't believe him. They don't believe him at all. And it made me think of today, like if I said, hey, the world's ending. Mm -hmm. Jesus is coming back. Most people laugh. Right. And so it, that's kind of the climate here. Um, we'll, we'll skip ahead. We'll just keep going. So God, uh, these angels well, lead them so, out, right? Yeah, basically Lot like is like delaying and not really leaving. And so the angels finally just grab him and his family and pull him out of the city. Right. And they're running with him, and they're saying, go up into the hills because we can't do anything. We're not going to destroy anything until you get there. And Lot's freaking out, going, I can't live in the hills. Send me to that little town over there. It's little. You can save it. The sin right. there might be little because it's just a small town. Send me there instead. And so the angels are actually like, fine, go there, but hurry, get there, and don't look back. And so, of course, you may have heard, Lot's wife looks back mm -hmm. and turns into what the earth is turning into, salt. Mm -hmm. So, like, this, the destruction of this place is to destroy the fertility of the earth yes. so that people won't live there anymore. Right. It was super fertile, and as a result of the judgment of God, it is infertile, and she turns to salt. Salt. And uh, then it gets worse, just when you think that's the worst part of it. Uh, Lot then doesn't go to this little town. Well, he does for a little bit and then realizes it's pretty messed up little town. Uh, it's just as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah. And so he eventually actually goes and lives in the caves in the hills. Lives in the caves in the hills. His daughters, and here, uh, there's so many themes here, but we'll just got to push through it. His daughters then are trying to solve the problem of their heritage and their lineage and their meaning and purpose in life by solving it in the way that seems most reasonable to them. Right. And the way that seems most reasonable reasonable to Lot's daughters is to get their father drunk and then become pregnant by him mm -hmm. when he's in his drunken stupor, mm -hmm. which they do successfully. But pause here for a second. The reason they're thinking this is because they're coming from a culture where we just read about what the men of the city, the welcoming committee of Sodom and Gomorrah was, uh, essentially it was rape. Right. And so for them to solve the problem of how are we going to continue our family line? How are we going to continue to make money or live without family and without children? Like this is how we live. And so you kind of see the, um, the sin of Cain, the sin of Ham, and now the sin of Lot. Like they're in a line of, of people who God loves and is saving despite them. He, God is patient with Lot and Lot is not responding well. No. <laughs> Um, and, and what you see in this line is people trying to figure stuff out on their own. And so, yeah, when you look back, it's messed up, right? It's powerless. But from these like unholy unions of incest comes two groups of people, the Moabites and the Ammonites. And so you just look for that. Whenever you read about the Moabites and the Ammonites, realize they come from Lot's incestuous relationship with his daughters after being saved from Sodom and Gomorrah. God, uh, what I get out of this chapter, Matt, is that God loves the world. He's very patient. And uh, he didn't save Sodom for the sake of one righteous person because he didn't find a righteous person. Right. And he just chose to save Lot. So thank For the sake of Abraham. For, yeah, for the sake of Abraham. And, uh, and that's why I love this. The thing I love about this story, it's really gross. You don't tell it to kids. But for the sake of Jesus, that God has found one righteous person and he saves the world. Okay, so chapter 20, moving on, you have Abraham... Um, witnessing all these great things in Sodom and Gomorrah and seeing what God is doing. He immediately is 
confronted with the problem of solving problems on your own. And so as he enters into this land toward the, uh, the territory of Negeb, anyway, it doesn't matter. It's a bunch of names to you right now. But he does the same thing. He says, uh, my wife, because she's smoking hot, is my sister. And so Abimelech takes her as part of his harem. Right, and so the king in these days, the, he would have a harem of many, many women, and so um, what we figured out here is that this wasn't in, in the past. I used to think like Abraham wandered in, and like a week later, it's like, what did you lie to me for? Because right. we're thinking, you know, one woman at a just one woman, not one woman a day, like the king, like Abimelech might be experiencing, and so what you gather from this is when he took Sarah into his harem the whole kingdom became infertile. They became sterile. Mm -hmm. And so after time, God appears to Abimelech in a dream and says, look, I've kept you. Um, you're like a dead man. Like you're not, you can't produce anything. Right. Because uh, you've taken this man's wife. And mm -hmm. he's like, what? And he's like, don't, don't. And Abimelech says, don't hurt me. I didn't know. And he's like, I know you didn't know. That's what I'm telling you. And so Abimelech then approaches Abraham and says, why'd you do this? Abraham gives the whole story. But here Abraham also says, well, she's technically kind of my sister. She is technically my sister. I didn't lie to you. I didn't lie to you. But anyway, and so it's another episode where God cares more about the promise and, and is teaching Abraham, like, look, this thing cannot be part of another kingdom. It can't mm -hmm. be um, tagged to some kind of earthly reasoning for your power and your blessing. It is totally from God. And right. so Abimelech blesses him and gives him sheep and gives him servants. Yeah, and then uh, Abraham actually prays for Abimelech. Yes, and yes. after Abraham prays, the infertility is lifted from the nation. And again, this is a this is a way that God's protecting the promised line. He made the whole nation infertile so that no one, like when Sarah has Isaac later on, it can't be traced back to, well, it was through Abimelech. Yeah, it could have been Abimelech. Remember that crazy mm -hmm. year in the Negev? Mm -hmm. Right, no. Um, so he protects Hagar, uh, he protects Sarah. Sarah. And uh, we get to verse uh, chapter 21. Now, chapter tw 21 is uh, so far in the story. This is, oh, I should say before we leave chapter 20, Abraham prays as a prophet, the Bible calls him a prophet, he prays and everybody becomes fertile again. Mm -hmm. They're healed. Yeah. So that. you have kind of like the first healing. We said that, good. He opens up the wombs in that area. Now, God finally then, in chapter 21, opens up the womb of Sarah. Yeah. And there's the birth of Isaac. 25 years after the promise was given. Yeah. 25 years of waiting uh, on God's word. Yeah. Just think about that. So like, uh, yeah, well, you get it. We wait for things. If I wait like a year for something to happen, I pretty much give up. <laughs> Honestly. Like I remember when first starting the church, I would be like, Lord, if I don't have this many people in a year, I'll just stop. And then the Lord's like, well, you know, it's a little bigger than what you feel or what you want, Adam. You're either living according to my promise and trusting me or you're not. And so it's been about eight years later. I'm still trusting the Lord and I'm thankful. <laughs> anyway, so we get to Isaac and he is born. And guess what rears its ugly head again, Matt? Ooh, Ishmael. That's right. <laughs> Ishmael's about 13 years old or so because about 10 years into it. He's probably about 15. Uh, 14. 14. So we split the difference. About 14 years later, Isaac is born. And there's a little thing here where Ishmael kind of laughs. He's like making fun of Isaac. 
Yeah. And Sarah sees it and immediately perceives it as a threat. And she goes straight to Abraham saying, you have to get this kid and the slave girl out of here. Right. I, I do not want them near my son. Which I kind of understand. Uh, if I've ever seen people make fun of my children, I take it very personally. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of emotion going around. 25 years of promise, being barren your whole life, finally giving birth. And then your solution to that problem, instead of trusting the Lord, laughs. Yeah. And you're like, get her out, Abraham. And the Lord actually says to Abraham, look, man, I know Ishmael's your boy. Right. And we love him, and we love Hagar, and she's been with you through a lot, but do what your wife says. And so Abraham kicks her out. He kicks out Hagar and Ishmael. And they wander out into the desert and almost die, but an angel of the Lord appears to Hagar and, again, shows that, like, I care about my people. I care about the people of the earth. And so he he restores them, allows them to find this well that's just in the desert, and... Uh, and promises, again, that Ishmael will become a great nation. Yeah, it's really cool. I, I think, I don't know if I said this yesterday, but uh, or the day before, I used to think God was not for Ishmael, or but he loves everybody. Uh-huh. And so he actually hears the prayer of Hagar. He promises to make this a great nation. And he says, you're just not the people who carry the promise. Right. But you will receive the benefits of the promise. Uh-huh. So... Um, he takes care of them. So what we have now, the way I'm structuring my mind is you got a promise of God is fulfilled mm-hmm. in this chapter 21. you got a promise of God is kind of threatened Through Ishmael. because Ishmael is going, wait, I'm, I'm the firstborn. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of this chapter, Abimelech comes back into the scene because mm-hmm. there's a dispute over a well. Right. And, um, and Abraham purchases the well from it. Purchases the well and says, let's, let me offer up seven ra- lambs. And he's like, why do you do that? And he's like, um, because I want to be a witness that I dug this well, that you didn't give it to me. Like mm-hmm. Abraham is trying to do everything on the up and up so that there is no confusion to future generations about whose this is, how it was purchased. It's legal. It's not like, mm-hmm. you know what, Abraham, you're cool. I remember you from back in the day. Let's just make a gentleman's agreement that can be wiped away in future generations. Right. So Abraham is doing everything right. And the thing that, that Matt and I really have enjoyed is understanding how Abraham is walking around Canaan setting up altars where he calls upon the Lord. And you know what those altars are? What are they? They're trees. He's planting trees. Oh, yeah. And so he plants a tamarisk tree, and he called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And then it says he lived there in the land of the Philistines. And so the idea, and then I was thinking, why would he plant a tree? Oh, because he is worshiping the God of Eden, Mm -hmm. the God of the universe, the God who plants you in a garden, your completeness is this unity with the earth and with God. And so it makes total sense that Abraham goes around planting the first churches in a world that doesn't know yet, saying, this is my inheritance. You guys don't know it. So like I'm thinking of the the roots of these tamarisk trees. They look like little desert shrubs. They're Mm -hmm. not great or magnificent, but this is where Abraham walks the land and he says, that's where I go and pray to the real God. Yeah. And that's what we are as churches. I was thinking about that like, we just plant little churches. We plant trees to say God gives the sun, God gives the rain, the nutrients, the soil, and he produces the fruit. And that's what the church is. And so a lot of times it looks dusty and it looks meaningless, but it was put there on purpose uh, to remind the people of God of the promises of God. So that's chapter 21. What could get better than that? Well, chapter 22. Because here's where we get the sacrifice of Isaac. God says... So. This is, a, again, a cyclical theme where a promise is either spoken or fulfilled, and then it's tested. Yeah. 
So we see partial fulfillment in the promise that Abraham will become a great nation because part of that, one step to that, is having a child. So he has a child, and now the promise is tested, and God says, I need you to take your son up to the to Mount Moriah, mm-hmm. Mount Moriah, and sacrifice him to me. Which, by the way, Moriah is the future site of Jerusalem and the temple. Which is awesome. Amazing. And basically on this mount, uh, he's going to sac- say, sacrifice your son. Now to us, that makes no sense. It sounds cruel. But you got to remember, Abraham, Abraham comes out of a culture where sacrificing your firstborn, sacrificing children even, is part of what the gods demand all mm-hmm. around you. So this is not a big, Abraham's not like, why would God do this? He understands this is what the false religions do. Mm -hmm. And this is what God's doing. He's trying to highlight the differences between the true and living God and the false gods. And um, and that's why, I I think that's why God's doing this. And he says, um, take him up, offer him to me as like a burnt offering. Yeah. And so Abraham, the, the most beautiful words really are, Abraham says, here am I. I'm here to do whatever you say. We've gotten this far. You've given me a child at age 100. I'm in too deep now. Now I'm going to live my life according to your promises, not according to what I see or think is best. And so he takes, he takes his son out there. Isaac says, they think he's about 13 or 14 or something. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, where is the lamb? What are we going to offer? And he goes, the Lord. And this is Abraham's great faith. He just says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And then as they get up there, um, Abraham again says, well, actually, the angel calls out to him and says, stop. Hmm. Don't do this. Hammer time. Now I know. Yeah, stop. Now I know that you fear the Lord. And then I think it's the angel in verse 22 or chapter 22, verse 15. He starts saying, um, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Which we know on this mount... The Lord will provide the sacrifice. Right. The Lord will provide his only son. The Lord will do this. And so Abraham is really setting up the promise. Like God is revealing the whole game plan in the first chapters of Genesis. Where he's saying the whole game plan is I will give my only son whom I love and sacrifice him to pay for and atone for the sins of my people. Yeah. It's pretty beautiful. And all the nations shall be blessed. And he gives, uh, he says to Abraham, look, look at the stars. That's going to be your offspring. Look at the sand, each little grain of sand. You will be blessed. Your offspring will possess the gates of your enemies, which is another great phrase that to keep up. Phrase. The gates of your enemies. You'll overwhelm the gates of your enemies. That's another promise I read in tomorrow's yeah. reading. And then you got the gates of hell shall not prevail against him, against Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it's anyway, this, this is a great line. But all nations shall be blessed because you obeyed. So because the obedience of Abraham, all nations will be blessed. Because of the obedience of Christ, all nations are indeed blessed. And, and then, then, anything else to add? Uh, it's such a no, huge no, no, chapter. No. But. And then uh, chapter 23, we have the death of Sarah, which is her age and time of death is the only female death specifically recorded in like this any of the ancient documents uh, any of the histories no one ever talks about the creation of woman and no culture ever talks about the age of a woman mm-hmm. isn't it i think it's cool i think god absolutely loves all people he loves right. women and now mm-hmm. it's embedded in a culture that doesn't respect women but god does right and so even the age sarah lived to be 127 years 
And uh, it's with great respect and great honor that Abraham then is like, I got to have a place to bury my dead. And he's very sad. Um, he had great respect for her. Mm-hmm. She walked with him for all these years and trusted the Lord. And so he goes and he deals with the Hittites and he says, I'd like to buy some land to bury my dead. And it's this cave of Machpelah. And he says, I want to buy this. And they said, well, give it to you, Abe. We don't, <laughs> we don't mind, Abe. Take the field. It's nothing to us. It's kind of just a big field with some caves. We don't care. But see, Abraham knows. This is a big deal. This is a big because deal. Because this is the promised land, and I'm I'm starting to be in a position where I can actually get some of this land mm-hmm. that God has promised. And I can't just go on a gentleman's agreement. Right. You can't just be like, oh, yeah, have whatever you want. And so we need to make this legitimate. Yeah, and so he ends up getting them to finally make an offer, and it's a ridiculous offer. Just so you know, like 400 shekels for that land is... A lot. Right. But Abraham hears them mention it. Like, well, here's what it's worth. But we don't want to do that. And Abraham immediately starts writing the check on a stone tablet or something. That's a joke. But he writes the check. He says, no, I'll pay. He pays. And it reminds me of Disney, like how Disney bought all the land. Like, they've ever heard the story. They sign up. They get the farmers. And, like, Abraham feels this. Like, we're getting the land. Yes. And so he pays. And the beauty of it is... um, he is beyond happy because he gets to ha- put his wife, she gets to be put to rest in the promised land. Yeah. She receives in a small way the fulfillment of God's promises that this is their land and she now rests and returns to the earth to God in his promises. And God has kept his promises. So her remains rest in the promised land and we can believe God's promises. He buries his wife in the promised land. All right. So at the end of this, of Genesis reading, we've spent a lot of time, but we kind of had to. It lays foundations for um, the rest of the Bible. <laughs> but I just am struck by the reality that Abraham believes the promises of God. Yeah. And when you believe it, you make choices according to that. So his choices are not to make deals with uh, the kings, not to take free land, not to uh, figure it out on his own, but say, no, we got to do this the right way. It is cool to see his growth throughout the story because this is most of Abraham's story arc. Yeah. And to see how he's he does try to figure it out on his own in the beginning and then ends with... And how many years? 25 years. This 25 is over 25 years. Yeah. You know, give, give yourself a break. Let yourself learn some of these big lessons over 25 years. Yeah. Not over uh, two hours. Okay. So that is the Old Testament. I never played the song. Yeah, we just jump right into it. But that's okay. All right, mm. let's go to the uh, our New Testament reading. We'll, we'll do a much shorter version of this. but Our New Testament reading for today is Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, through chapter 9, verse 13. All right. So we finished the, the Sermon on the Mount, and the way it finishes is? Build your house on a rock. Build your house on the rock. The rock is the word of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. It's his word. If you trust God's word, your house will weather the storms. And we just saw that through Abraham and Sarah. Yeah. Then Jesus has this great line about um, at the end of his sermon, you know what everybody is impressed with? was They were astonished at his teaching for his teaching them as one who had authority, not as one who, not as one like us. Like we mm-hmm. read the stuff and we tell it to you. He was saying, this is it because I have made it so. Right. 
And so the authority of Jesus becomes a great theme. He is the authority. Um, he is the prophet. And his behavior backs it up, which is what we see in chapter 8. Chapter 8, you're seeing the fruit of Jesus. First and foremost, he's here to restore and reconnect everybody to completeness. Mm -hmm. And so someone who has been cast out of society, a leper, is restored. He immediately restores them. Um, he, the, the leper here says, are you willing to clean me? And Jesus says, oh, I, I am. I, I will be clean. And so he speaks with authority and the guy is clean. Then, do you want to tell the next two miracles? Then uh, we have, again, he's in Galilee. So there's a lot of Gentiles and a, a centurion, a Roman centurion, who comes up to him and says, uh, Lord, my I have a servant that's paralyzed back at home. Speak the word, and I know you will heal him, because I'm a man of authority, and I know how this works, and I know you have the authority to do this. Oh, man, and Jesus loves this. Yeah. He loves it. He says, I have found nobody with such faith in all of Israel. You're going to eat at that meal at the end of all times where we all eat together with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He compares them. Yeah. He compares this centurion, this guy who's not even Jewish, he says, that's the kind of faith I'm talking about, where the kind of faith that hears God say something and believes it and mm -hmm. says, you don't even have to come to my house anymore. And then Jesus says, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servants are healed at that very moment. That's the authority Jesus has, though. And this guy recognized the authority. Yeah. You say the word. It's amazing. Yeah. And again, it shows us that God's plan was always to the whole world. Yeah. And not yeah. just the well, children of the promise. In fact, it goes on in 14... It says uh, he healed many people. Mm -hmm. He healed Peter's mother-in-law from sickness. And then they reference that um, Matthew here references, oh, this is just like the prophet Isaiah said. He would take all our illness and bore all our diseases. He mm -hmm. took them for us. And so you see that he's healing many. He's getting a lot of um, a following now. A lot of people are coming yeah. around. This is when Jesus drops, oh, hey, you know, this is, it's a great life, but it costs you something. Yeah. He says, uh, you know, if you follow me, because people said, we'll follow you anywhere. And he goes, well, I don't really have a place to sleep. I don't have the comforts that you have because I'm living according to the promises of God and not according to what I have to do for myself. And so he says, um, another guy says, well, let me bury my dad. Let me live with my family, do my duty. Then I'll follow you. And Jesus says, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own. He's like, look, you're going to have to give up some of these ideas that you have about what makes you good, what makes you comfortable, mm -hmm. and trust the Lord. And so there's a cost to following Jesus, and that's where his authority, we can trust him because he's just been healed. He's been showing us what it looks like when he's king. Right. But he goes on in the rest of this chapter, chapter 8, to um, show his authority over nature itself, where he calms the storm. Why are you guys afraid? He then goes on and heals two men with demons. He mm -hmm. has total authority over spiritual powers, right. over demonic powers. And he sends these demons into pigs. And then it scared people. Like People are like, what are you doing? Yeah, at this point, in this part of the story, he is in a completely Gentile area. And so it's a completely pagan area. And they freak out at the closeness of God and the right. author his authority. And they tell him, please go away. Yeah. Like the demons were telling him, please go away. Right. Now these people are echoing the demons request the son of god is here so this is beyond even abraham who just believes god mm -hmm. is counted righteous the righteous one is here in all authority displaying his divine nature in moments for those who can see it not everybody can see it and they're like who is this guy right but then he goes on to uh, display perhaps his greatest authority 
Right. So he's displayed authority over nature, over demonic, over healing, all this stuff. But he says, I forgive you your sins. Mm. And people get upset to a guy, a paralyzed guy says, I forgive your sins. And they're like, what are you doing? That's blasphemy. And he says, what's easier to heal someone of his paralyzation or to announce absolution or forgiveness of sin? And absolution is absolutely harder (laughs) than healing somebody. But healing somebody is impossible. Right. So Jesus not only has authority to heal, which he does for this guy, but he has authority to say your sins are forgiven you. Which, again, all this is not just claiming. It's not that Jesus just said, I'm God. You know, people will be like, Jesus never said he was God. Oh, yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. When he allowed people to worship him, that was a declaration that I am God. Because throughout the Bible, if anyone's ever worshipped, they're like, don't worship me. Don't, don't do that. And, um, and so Jesus allows himself to be worshipped. He shows himself to have authority over heaven, earth, spiritual, physical. And then, this is the, perhaps this is where we'll end, he calls messed up people like Matthew. A right. tax collector, a betrayer to Jerusalem, to Jews. He's collecting money, stealing money. He's friends with sinners. And giving it to the Romans. And Jesus says to this guy, follow me. And he goes, yeah, the life you are offering me seems better than the one I found for myself. Yeah, I love it. Like he gets up from his tax booth and just follows him. He drops everything. He's like, okay. Because I don't don't want to be a villain anymore, man. I want to find meaning in life. I'm tired of this. Flip the script. And so the beauty of this is the Pharisees are like, why are you hanging out with sinners, Jesus? And then Jesus says, look, you guys are missing it. I came for the sick. Mm -hmm. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And here's what hit me, Matt, is that God loves mercy. So those who understand they need mercy, he loves to be with. Because that's what he came to give. Oh, that's good. Right? Yeah. And he goes, those who desire sacrifice are those who don't understand mercy. They're going to pay for their sin, right? They're going to say, oh. And so what happens is the Pharisees and people who are righteous, they want to execute something and someone to pay. So it's easy to execute the people who are sinning. And Jesus is like, I didn't come here to execute the sinners. I came here to show mercy, and then they'll show mercy, and you guys are missing it. Hmm. Boom. Mercy, not sacrifice. And the reason he can do that, he's like, I'm going to be executed myself. I'll take care of the execution. You guys walk and administer the mercy. Nice. Booyah. If you listen for 31 minutes just to get that, that was well worth it. <laughs> wow. So we did, that's it. We're finishing. Uh, yeah, and then we'll just finish... Let's go to our uh, reading a portion of Psalm 7. Why don't you just read? I'm playing guitar, so it's hard for me to get there. All right. Let's get to uh, Psalm 7. Yeah. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Yeah. And my shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. There it is. Give thanks to the Lord. Well, thanks for listening today. I hope it's been an encouragement. We um, we are like growing in love with this story more and more. We hope you are, and our prayer is that God would plant it, plant His word in our hearts, because we believe it's performative. It is creating. It is growing, and He loves you. Have a great day. Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You've been listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam.